Here's the word of God from Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 to 15. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him away from us while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's see how well we learned this earlier from Pastor Danny. Christ is risen. All right. That greeting is called a Paschal greeting. For centuries, Christians have greeted each other with this greeting. And if you don't know, that's okay. Some of you guys have known it. It's actually a common liturgy in the Orthodox Church where it's still practiced today. Other churches have also adopted this greeting or call and response. The Anglican Church practices this greeting as well as some Methodists, Presbyterians, and even some Baptists. Now, here's why I wanted to share that greeting with you. As I was preparing for this sermon for Easter, as I was learning about it, I, I remember that greeting. I remember sharing that greeting before, but I was kind of curious, where did that come from? What was the history? So I started doing some research on that greeting and where it came from and how it came into common practice in the churches. And this is what I read. There was a Russian Orthodox leader named Viktor Potapov. And he says this, On the other hand, the greeting fills our soul with inexpressible joy. When you say or hear someone say the sweet words, Christ is risen, He is risen indeed, you feel particularly happy. Thus one might say that another reason for those words of greeting to have come into general practice is that they produce joy in the soul. They produce joy because they contain that sweet hope in our own coming resurrection. The Apostle Paul states, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. It follows that if Christ was resurrected, we shall be as well. This is something of great comfort to all of us, especially to those whose path in this life is sown with weeds and tares. Indeed, it is terrible to live a life of want and then become a victim of death for all eternity. But to live in want here, and then to finally move into blessed eternity, and together with your resurrected body, to enjoy blessed happiness. Can anything be more longed for than this? That is the reason both for our pleasure in hearing the words, Christ is risen, He is risen indeed, and for their general usage in our greetings to one another. Victor Potapov is saying that this greeting fills our hearts with inexpressible joy, and I love that. I need that. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. By, by nature, I'm a naturally a very happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Most of you guys who know me. My wife would tell you that the theme song for my life was a song from the Lego movie where it goes, Everything is awesome. 
everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome. And, and honestly, that's an accurate picture of me. Yeah, my wife would say, that's, that's Lauren. When we first saw that movie, she's like, oh, okay, that's you. Because most of my life, that's been very accurate of me. I'm, I'm an optimistic guy. I'm an Enneagram 7. I'm a very positive human being. I'm the glass not half full. It's like, oh, look how awesomely full that glass is. And you want to drink some of it. But lately, I'm just going to be honest and real with you. I haven't been feeling like that as much. I mean, times are hard and they're hard for everyone. So I'm not blaming it on times. I just find myself not walking around and wanting to sing Everything is Awesome all the time anymore. Like I used to. Now, it could be that I'm just getting older. I was recently informed by some members of our staff that I'm deep into middle-aged. Which is shocking to me. But then I'm like, it's true, but it still hurts my heart that you would say that. So it could be that I'm older now, I have more responsibility of whatever it may be. And to be honest with you, lately I've been hit by, hit more and more with the struggles of our people, of my own issues, and the problems of this world. I'm often closer to crying than I am closer to singing Everything is Awesome lately. Now I'm not saying this because this is a bad thing, or I'm not saying it because I need a pick-me-up. I'm not saying this because I'm feeling depressed lately. I'm, I'm saying this just is truth. This is just where I've been lately. And I'm not saying it because I want you to feel bad for me, or, or, oh, let's pick up, cheer him up, or it's just a season. I'm saying it because I think God is actually doing something in my heart. I think he's tempering some of my positivity with empathy and hurt so that what comes out is something deeper and more authentic. But that's what's going on in my heart right now. I feel like I'm in a place, I don't know how many of you guys are there. Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's sickness. Our church has been through a lot recently. One of our youth has been in the hospital still there with emergency brain surgery. And we've been through so much going on in our church. And in our, the COVID pandemic has been on for over a year now. There are things happening and they always will happen. And sometimes it's hard to look at life and see hope. And maybe I'm there right now. Maybe that's just my season. But I also think there's something God's working deeper. So in this place and in this season, this is what I need to hear more loudly, more boldly proclaimed than ever before, that Christ is risen. That was a test. You see, when I, when I hear that statement, that statement is made, I'm reminded of my hope in Christ. I'm reminded that I'm a part of a larger plan and picture. That God is working even in the hardest parts of my life for remaking a new heavens and a new earth. When that greeting is uttered, I get to stand firm that death has been defeated so that the fear of death no longer has a hold on me. Those words promise not only death being defeated, but that all will one day be made right. And all that is broken, all that is wrong, all that is you see in this world and see that is not right, that is messed up, will be made true and good and new. I need Easter. I need this resurrection so bad. And if the story of Jesus ended with the cross, it could not be called good news. If it ended on Friday, then there's no way Friday could be called Good Friday. If Jesus is dead, it means Jesus failed. If Jesus is dead, it means Jesus lied. If Jesus is dead, it means Jesus was a fraud. The gospel accounts, however, do not end with the lifeless body of Jesus laid to rest in a tomb. He rose, and it is the resurrection of Christ that makes the gospel the gospel. It's what makes the good news good. 
that the tomb is empty, the Lord is risen, his word is true, his promise is real, his death satisfactory, his atonement complete, his obedience perfect, his service acceptable, his victory total. That Jesus lives and because he lives, we who believe in him will also live. Jesus rose, and because he rose, we who believe in him will also one day rise. The resurrection is a great necessity. It is essential for the gospel. And because Jesus rose, there is good news for the world, and there is good news for you, and there is good news for me. So what I see, and I see the world that is hurt, and a world that is broken, and when I see the world that's just off kilter, and you see there's something wrong, and there's too much injustice, and there's too much pain, I can have hope that it's not just the way it is. No, I have hope that it will be made right one day. And for some strange reason, God allows me to be a part of that process. He calls me to that significance. He calls me in love to be a co-heir with Christ. Not just a co-heirs of the benefits of Christ's work, but co-heirs to the mission, the calling that Christ did, is to remake this world the way it's supposed to be. As we look at the passage of Scripture that we, we share, as we're finishing up the book of Matthew as a church during this ser- series that we've been in, we're looking at verses 1 through 10 in chapter 28, and our attention is focused on the women who came to care for Jesus on the first day of the week. And let's look and see the response of this woman as they come face to face with the resurrected Jesus. It's just before dawn on Sunday morning, and the two Marys go to the place where Jesus had been entombed. And a sudden earthquake signals the descent of an angel who rolls back the stone that covered the entrance to the tomb. His appearance is awe-inspiring. His presence causes the immediate loss of consciousness in the guards that have been sent to keep watch over the grave. They faint. That's the words I use. They faint. Later, they'll probably say they were knocked out. They're, they probably will say this large angel or something just knocked them out. But they fainted. You can't really blame them. After the long watch of the night, an earthquake followed by an angelic visitation would be enough to cause all of us to faint. I mean by knocked out. But that's exactly what happened. Notice, though, that the women didn't faint. There's no theological point there. I just wanted you to notice how awesome these women were. Uh, these guards fainted. I'm just going to say, they, they fainted. But the women were like, uh-uh. Just saying. No, no significant point there. Terrified though it must have been for the guards, however, the message of the angels to the women was not one of judgment, but one of hope. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, and he, as he said, come and see where he lay, then go quickly, and tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead, that he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, the Marys who didn't faint, who saw the angels, and with hope they heard these words, they took off running to tell the disciples full, it says, of joy and fear. And suddenly they run into Jesus. He says greetings. And I love that. These women just experienced their teacher being crucified. They went through an earthquake, saw an angel, and was told that Jesus was back from the dead, that they're taking off full sprint to tell the disciples, and they run into Jesus, and his first words are, greetings. I kind of wanted a little bit more, but that's what, that's what Jesus went with. And the original Greek there is actually more like rejoice. That's what it literally kind of literally translates to. It means rejoice. But it became a similar saying to how we would use say good morning or hello. It was a, it was a form of greetings that but actually literally translated to rejoice. So it's like him saying good morning or hello. But with the word literally meaning rejoice. And I love the simplicity of Matthew's reporting here. 
Look what happens as they meet Jesus. Verse 9. Jesus meets them and says, Greetings. And they come up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Here's Jesus himself in the flesh, risen and alive, standing before them, greeting them. And they fall to the grounds, not like the guards did, fainting, but full of awe and adoration as they come and take a hold of his feet. I love how they mention his feet. Didn't have to mention his feet. Very intentional that they mentioned the feet. And you can imagine the moment as trembling hands reached up towards him. Could this be the same Jesus whose flesh we saw ripped and torn and pierced? Could this be the same Jesus whose blood flowed away till he breathed his last on the cross? Do we dare actually reach out and touch him? Is he real? Is he a part of a grief-driven delusion? Is he a mirage? And as their hands reached, as they were tentative, as they were fearful, as they reached for his feet, they made contact and realized this is not an image, this is not a mirage, this is no hallucination. He is real. He lives. And what a moment that must have been for them. What a moment that these are the feet that walked the streets of Palestine. The feet that sinful woman bathed with her tears of joy and have been forgiven, wiping them with her hair. The feet that with Martha had sat and learned from her master. The feet that Mary had anointed with perfume just before he was betrayed. These are the feet that helped drag the cross along the Via Dolorosa. These are feet through which Roman nails were, still, were driven, still bearing the scars. Guys, you see, the radical message of the resurrection of Christ is that the humanity that Jesus took into union with himself is a humanity that he bears still. The body of Jesus, the same body in which he obeyed and bled and died, is now body, now risen and glorified, that sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father. Again and again, the Gospels make that point. When he stood among the disciples in the upper room after his resurrection in John 20, Remember how doubting Thomas said, I need to see the hands, I need to see his feet. And so Jesus showed him his feet and said, Thomas, place your fingers here. And again, Jesus meets the disciples in the Sea of Tiberias. And when they arrive at the shore, they find that the risen Christ has built a fire and prepared breakfast. They, they ate together. And over and over again, they show that Jesus rose physically. He had a real human body. The same body that was torn and battered on the cross has now been resurrected. Guys, you see, the good gospel is not just good news for the mind, not just good news for the soul, not just some vague spiritual news. It's not some abstract philosophy that offers release or peace or satisfaction of some sort from the prison of our flesh. The Christian gospel declares actually that one day flesh and bones will be redeemed. That one day matter and energy will be made over. One day creation itself, though it's defiled and broken, will be remade and renewed in Christ. That's what the symbol, that's what it means that his body was made new. Not that he was given a brand new one, not that he was all of a sudden transported to a spiritual state. His body being remade and renewed shows us that we also, and all that is here, will also be remade and renewed. The gospel declares that the physical world of real things, of hands and feet, will one day be swept up in a cosmic transformation. One, our hope is a day to come when the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom that, that, that God has promised it. Ligon Duncan says this, The chains that tie the world to inevitable entropy will one day be shattered 
and the fabric of the cosmos will be caught up into the freedom of the glory of the children of God that will be ours who believe in Jesus Christ. What Lincoln Duncan is saying is one day right now the universe is trapped in this inevitable entropy that one day will be shattered and broken. This, this trend that it's on, the way that it's going, will be remade into the righteousness. And what happened at the resurrection and when Christ's body was made new, he, he invaded into this earth to say, here's my power that's going to reform and renew this world, moving the life and body of Jesus so that you believe and you have hope that one day, not just will Jesus be made new, all of us will be made new. That's the hope we stand in. How, is, how can we be confident of this coming day as coming at all? We be sure the real sense of the resurrection and renewal of all things have already begun. The new creation has broken in upon us ahead of time, as it were, kind of in the middle of history with the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. He is, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15-20, the first fruit from the dead of those who have been raised from the dead. He is the down payment. He is the anchor. He's a guarantee that if today you trust in Him, you, you will live in a body made new one day, and you will live ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. That is what the resurrection of Jesus signals to us and guarantees to us. And so that's why the, the Marys fell at the feet of Jesus. That's why they clasped His feet in worship. It's an act of profound significance. The object of their adoration, the object of our adoration as Christian people is enfleshed in Christ. The divine son who lives, us, lives today in everlasting union with real humanity. My people, I look around and I see so many broken relationships. So many broken systems in this world. I see injustice and I see hurt. And I long for, I long for justice, and I long for what is wrong to be made right. I long for the broken, those who've, who've lost children and who've lost loved ones. I long for those who've experienced pain to be made right so that if, if there is no truth to this, if there is no truth to the resurrection, what hope do we have? That anything is worth significance. I'm going to misquote this. I wasn't planning. I'll try to look for this quote. I messed up finding it earlier. But I'm going to misquote this. I'm just going to give it to But Tim Keller makes this statement in one of his sermons. And he says this. He says, The greatest hope that non-Christians should have is that they should hope that the Easter story is real. Because he says most of the non-Christians that he hangs out with in New York, most of them long for social justice. Most of them long for righteousness. Most of them long for the world to be better. But if we're all just a bunch of cells and atoms with no purpose gathering together, and we're all meant to be kind of disintegrated anyway, and one day matter will be restored in different functions anyway, then what's the point? But if the Easter story is true, and that the earth is being remade and renewed through the power of a resurrecting God who resurrected Jesus, and then we're a part of the story of a remaking of this world to the way that it's supposed to be, where love and peace and justice and mercy flow on the streets. Oh, then we should pray for the Easter story to be true. My friends, the Easter story is true. And we have a risen Savior. And in this world that we live in, in difficult times and in hard times, our confidence is this and remains this. In a time when it's hard to look around and sing, everything is awesome we can still shout that Christ is risen. Those of you who missed it, I'm just kidding. 
And then what that does for us, and we make that proclamation, we say, we know that the world isn't right, we know that it isn't perfect, but we have a redeeming, resurrecting Savior who is doing mighty things in this world. He's done it in my life and in my heart first. He's redeemed even me and my sinfulness and my brokenness. He's called me into relationship. And if He did it in me, He can do it in you and He'll do it in this world. So we can have hope that justice will come and one day all will be made right. Until that day comes, His resurrecting power is still moving in His church to bring that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So what do you do with a Jesus like this? It's not enough that he lives to assent to the fact that he lives. To offer a grudging concession that evidence says that Jesus might still be alive. All the witnesses might prove that he's alive. There's, there's, there's not enough just to say, oh, he's a good teacher. What do you do with Jesus who lives in the same body in which he died and is now exalted? There's really only one thing to do, isn't there? You must either fall down and worship him. Nothing else will suffice. Again and again, in the Matthew's Gospel, Jesus told his disciples, Death will not hold me. Over and over again, he says he will rise. The angel said that he rose as just as he said he would. He kept his words. Had Jesus died and remained dead, were his, were his bones today to be found somewhere in the Middle Eastern tomb? We shouldn't say, we couldn't just say that he was a good man or just a good moral teacher. If Jesus is still dead, we should say he's either a liar or a lunatic, as the argument by C.S. Lewis says. He's either God or he's a liar and a lunatic. And if it's right, if Jesus is still dead, he's a liar and lunatic. He was delusional and unreliable. But since he rose just as he promised, you can trust his every word. And because he rose, you need to make something of that. If he can overcome the great barrier of death itself to keep his promises, then which of his promises can I point that he does not have the power to fulfill? Because Jesus lives, you can trust his every word. He is Lord, the Lord of life and the master of death. He's the mighty conqueror of the grave, the only savior of sinners. And his resurrection, therefore, can never be a mere point in history to be acknowledged and to moved on from. It must be a devastating, world-altering, life-changing pivot by which everything must change. Will you fall at his feet? Can I tell you something? That the reality of Jesus' life Death and resurrection needs to be a point in your life that you need to either choose to believe is he really resurrected from the dead? Is Jesus really alive in his earthly body? And if that question to you, if you, if you answer that question, that it needs to be a life-altering question to you. Because if you believe, then your only response has to be a falling at his feet in worship. As you behold Christ, all you can do is say, He must be Lord. He has power over death and over sin. That His words must be true. That I must be called to His family. I must be called to eternal significance. And doesn't our hearts long for that? You've heard me say, Waypoint Church, over and over again, that the human condition is this. I believe the human condition is that we all long to be known, we all long to be loved, and we all long for purpose. I said that over and over again. You heard me say it. And in, in, in Christ, we see the answer to the human condition, a way to be known in all of us, all our sin and our faults, and still be loved by a righteous and good and just God. And to be called into family of significance. Our people, what will you do with this Jesus? And if you're here today, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, if you're listening, if you're watching and you're joining with us on live stream, and you don't know Jesus as Lord, but you want to, 
Something in your heart longs for it and says, yes, something is wrong and I want all what is wrong. I need hope that all will be made right. I need to know that even the sin in my life, I can be in, in the midst of all my sin, I can be known and still loved. As I ask you that if during our next time of singing as we gather together, will you tell somebody? Will you contact one of our pastors? Will you grab one of us during this time of singing? Will you come and say, I want to know who Jesus is? We'd love to talk to you. I guarantee if you just find somebody next to you, somebody will point you in the right direction of who to talk to. But my people, all of you, whether you're acknowledging Jesus as Lord for the first time, we all need to wrestle with this reality. If Jesus is alive, it changes everything. Will you live in gospel Easter hope? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... God, we thank you for the love you've lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. Thank you. Thank you that you've loved us so mightily. God, that we can be known and we can be loved and we can be called to purpose. God, may we, may we see the resurrected Jesus. May we fall at his feet in adoration and in worship. There's no other decision before us. There's another thing that we can do. If we really believe that Jesus was resurrected in the body, then we have hope that we ourselves can be resurrected. We have hope that this world will be remade new. And God, we need that hope. We need that hope in this life today to get through today. We need that hope. So God, may the Easter hope, may the truth of the resurrection move us and give us confidence to live for you. God, may we share that with others for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.